Well, it's great to be with you again. And whether you're in the auditorium, whether you're on Zoom, or also listening to one of our recordings, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. Um, we also recognize that there's those people in the States, the USA, that um, are also uh, listening to our time together today. And we want to ex especially express our thoughts and our prayers are with you at this time of significance in your nation. I don't know about you, but the last 12 months have been a bit of a blur at times. But there's been so much that's gone on, but it's kind of hard to put it into words. And we can be forgiven that the same thing is happening in the where we left off last week in Matthew chapter 2, where last week we ended Matthew chapter 2 with these words, he being Jesus will be called the Nazarene. And you might recall from last week that we said that, you know, this is almost implying that Jesus is coming from a point of obscurity. And then we catapult ourselves across to Matthew chapter 3. In those days, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 starts out with. And we can easily think that not a lot has happened between Matthew chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 3. But we would be very wrong. So before we launch into Matthew chapter 3, which is our passage today, it's worthwhile catching up on what's been happening between Matthew chapter 2, verse 22 and Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. The time gap that we're talking about here is roughly 25, 26 years, something around that sort of level. Jesus is now settled into his hometown of Nazareth. Joseph has re-established his work as a chippy. Mary and Joseph are surrounded by extended family. Now, speaking of family, Mary and Joseph's delay in consummating their marriage until after Jesus was born certainly did not mean that they slowed down their growth as a family. Between Matthew 2 and Matthew 3, Joseph and Mary have at least six other children. Mary after giving birth to Jesus, Mary and Joseph are now the parents of James, Joseph Jr., Simon, Judas, and obviously they were pretty fond of the J names, um, but they also had at least two girls who reached, and so um, there, there might have been a couple of others, we don't know, because the, the way it talks about these few girls, um, it, it might have been three, but at least there were two. So Mary and Joseph and family are of at least nine in number. Okay. The rhythms of life surrounding the creation of income through the carpentry work and any additional work that Mary may have been able to turn her hand to whilst taking primary responsibility of the family home. The boys, as they grew up, would spend more and more time with Joseph, their dad. As a family, they would attend regularly the weekly synagogue services in Nazareth, where the boys especially would grow in their understanding of the Torah. That's the first five books of the Old Testament 
Genesis through to Deuteronomy. And they would also be exposed to and understand more about the prophets as well. Jesus, we discover, learnt how to read. Attending the synagogue, Jesus would have watched and listened as the synagogue leaders would have discussed and unpacked the sacred text. Even as a young teen, a teenager, Jesus showed incredible aptitude and was well-liked by the people around town. Every year, the family made their pilgrimage of almost 100 kilometres to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, while we can't be certain when it happened, it seems as though it could have been between chapter 2 and chapter 3 that um, jo- uh, Joseph, uh, Jesus' kind of adopted father, passes away. Regardless, Jesus in his hometown was known well and known as the carpenter's son. It also seems as if um, Jesus was expected to follow in his father's um, employment as a profession, as a chippy, before the days of flat packs and Allen keys. Now, around 100 kilometres south, and if you can see on the screen behind me, so Nazareth is up at the top, and where Elizabeth and Zachariah lived was down and just a little bit west of Jerusalem. So down in this bottom area, um, Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, lived, and their boy, John, who was just a smidge older than Jesus. John was the sort of boy that walked to the beat of his own drum, a different drum. It seems as though he possibly fell in with the group of people known as the Qumran community or the Essenes. Shunning the big smoke of Jerusalem, those in the community believed, are believed to be the ones behind the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered around 19, in the 1950s. They lived in a small community that almost took on a monastic flavour. Joining the community was apparently, and note this, a process of turning from evil and entering into the community through water baptism. And so the Qumran community and the Essenes, they lived around, and the Dead Sea Scrolls were around where that red circle is down the bottom. The Jews also practiced baptism, okay? That was when um, Gentile converts, non-Jewish, pretty much, do we have anyone from Jewish heritage here? No, so all of us would have been considered Gentiles. Um, And so if we wanted to convert to Judaism, we would need to renounce our life as a non-Jew and convert, and we would be expected to go through baptism as a part of that process. And so Jews also practice water baptism for anyone that wanted to convert to Judaism. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. So John's coming out of the West Bank, so in this bottom area down here, and somewhere in the middle or thereabouts along the Jordan River between the um, Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is where John starts some of his ministry. His role is as a protagonist, as a prophet, 
calling people to come clean and to get clean. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said he was a voice shouting in the wilderness, or he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, remember what we were talking about before, for food he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, I'm not sure whether you've ever been to one of those family gatherings, you know, those large family gatherings, maybe a funeral, maybe a wedding, maybe a family reunion, where all the relatives come along to it. And there's often that odd cousin or odd uncle. You know that one that's just a little bit different? Uh, they, they might have interesting table manners or they are more than happy to be quite outspoken um, of whatever's on their mind about politics. And for them, everything seems to be black and white. Well, that kind of sums up John. One thing's for certain, John was a passionate follower of Jesus. He was, a, oh, sorry, he was a passionate follower of Yahweh God. The Spirit of God was on John <clears throat> in an incredible way. There was something about John and his message that captured people's attention. And for some, it also went so far as to capture their devotion. That was John, the man. Then there was the method. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, we read these words. People from Jerusalem and from all uh, of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. John was not interested in some synagogue circuit preaching ministry with roofs and rooms and scribes and seats. John was an open air campaigner. On the bank of the Jordan River, John probably with his back to the water, looking up at the bank where people were gathering, would call forth people to repent, to have a change of mind for the better, to confess their sins and to be baptised, to be plunged under the water, symbolising their desire to live a different life, to live a life well as a follower of Yahweh God. Now, it was one thing to call a Gentile, a, a non-Jew, to convert to Judaism and to repent and be baptised. But here, John was calling people from within the Jewish nation to do exactly the same thing. We think that nominalism is just a thing for us today, but it was also something that impacted those in, in John's day. To repent, to be baptised. Those of the religious establishment 
were not happy. Respected and somewhat feared Pharisees and Sadducees, whom often didn't get along with each other, came together to investigate John. But black and white John would have none of that. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, we read these words. But when he, that being John, saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. We're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. John the man, John the method, calling people to change their way of living, coming clean and getting clean with God. But we also see in Matthew's account the importance of John's message. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we go on to read, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone, someone is coming after me who is greater than I am, so much greater than I'm not worthy even to be his slave and to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. And he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barns and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Despite the crowds and attention that John received, John knew that his talents, his gifts and abilities were never an end to themselves. There was something more important at hand. The reason why, the purpose, the fire in John's belly, and the reason why he did what he did was to fulfill Yahweh God's calling on his life. If John wanted to live life well, he needed to fulfill Yahweh God's calling on his life. Matthew, in reflecting on John's life, saw John as the fulfillment of the prophetic message of Isaiah. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the roads for him. John's role was to help people to be ready to receive the Messiah, the coming King. John was not to replace the Holy Spirit, but was empowered by, was inspired by and equipped by the Holy Spirit. John wanted to help people to get ready to accept the Messiah. John was not there to make a name for himself. John didn't want to get caught up in the material things of life, living light, traveling light. Hold things in the world lightly. 
because there is so much more to take hold of in this life. Fine merino suits were not for John. A camel-haired jacket pulled around the waist with a leather belt. Simple clothing, simple food, wild honey, and the outwitting of those jumping grasshoppers were John's happy meal. Funny, isn't it? Today, we would market as superfoods those who would want to supplement their diet of smashed avocado and soy lattes with crushed grasshoppers and wild honey. Today, we can easily find ourselves looking down on the messenger and the message. You know, we can find ourselves in a situation where we, like the Pharisee and the Sadducee, can think that genetics are on our side. For them, they were descendants of Abraham. In their mind, repentance and baptism were for people who wanted to be like them, not for them. Perhaps our parents were followers of Jesus. They served in the church. Their blood flows through our veins. Perhaps we believe in the importance of denominational affiliation, that I'm a part of the Church of Christ, or I've grown up in the Catholic, or I've been a part of the Presbyterian, or I've been a part of the Baptist, and that's the box that we tick when the census comes round. Perhaps we, we believe that we've got christening, or confirmation, or sprinkling, or baptism on our side. We continue to tick the senses, just as our parents, our families have done, and heritage of the, the heritage of attending services at Christmas and Easter, and a smattering between. But has there been a change in us? Have we been prepared to change the direction of our life? Moving from living for ourselves to putting Yahweh God first. Is our desire to live life well and to be fruitful? Are we prepared to go public with our love for God? Our relationship with God was never meant to be private. Personal, deeply personal, absolutely yes. But private, no. For many, that is the reason why they get baptised, is they want to go public, they want to let people know, I have changed my life and I'm wanting to be a follower of Jesus. And we'll have more to say about that next week. Today, are we prepared to go one step further, like John? John already had a passionate relationship with Yahweh God. He was inspired by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But are we, like John, prepared to take the next step? And no, I'm not asking you to eat grasshoppers and wild honey. But in a growing reliance on the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's empowering in us, are we willing to live in the Word and de uh, delve deep and to be prepared to help others to become more like Jesus, to become followers of Jesus, the Messiah. You see, it wasn't enough for John to be just a passionate follower 
of God. He wanted to help others to be prepared to follow God's Messiah too. The talents, the gifts, the abilities that could easily have been used to make a name for oneself, to advance ourselves, can become humble resources that we offer to God to help others to come to know Jesus. How we live in both our words and our actions can help point others to Jesus just as John did. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't even have to be a good speaker or have lots of stuff. All that you need to have is a growing relationship with Jesus and a growing concern for others to know Jesus too. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that we have examples, and sure, John was a pretty radical guy, but examples of people that wanted to live life well, to, to live in such a way that they wanted to be a passionate follower of you. But out of that desire to be a passionate follower of you, they, they couldn't help but be impacted by the needs of others around you, around them to, to come to know you as well. And so we thank you that, that John was prepared to not only passionately follow you, but passionately engage with others out of a desire to help them to be ready for the Messiah. Lord, as we pause even now to think about our relationship with you, but not only our relationship with you, our relationship with others and those that we love dearly that don't know you, those that we meet on a regular basis, whether it be in the place of work, in the place of school, in the place across the fence, wherever it might be. Holy Spirit, breathe on the fire that is within us and help us to grow in our passion and our desire to help others be ready to accept Jesus as their Messiah, as their Saviour. Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, there's a couple of questions that we've got on the screen and I encourage you to pull out those response cards. We'll be ready to do that chat function at home as well. How is your relationship with Jesus? Are you following him or are you following your own plans, your own desires, your own um, advancement? How is your relationship with Jesus going? Are you relying on genetics parents' faith or denominational alliances for your relationship with God. The most important thing that you can ever do is have a personal relationship with Jesus. How's that going? But then the next question is, how is your concern for others and their relationship with Jesus? Does that, is that something that you need to grow in? And will you help point others to Jesus?
There's a range of things that you can pray for. You can pray and ask God to be more alive and at, at work in your life. You can pray that your relationship with others will be one that will point others to Jesus. My encouragement is that you take some moments now as the music's played and that you take some time to respond to the things that God's saying to you at this time. God bless you.